right, Matthew 19. All right, Matthew 19, we're down verse number 10. Uh, his disciples say unto him, If the case of the man be so with his wife, it is not, it, it is not good to marry. Now, you have to remember last week we were talking about the issue of marriage. Uh, down here as we introduce the chat, as he gets in and the Pharisees there, verse 3, the Pharisees also came unto him tempting him and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And we look down through the issue there about marriage in time past in the nation of Israel. And uh, Christ, he's given the instructions there, verse 9, and I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her, uh, which is put away, doth commit adultery. And, and again, he's given the instructions there in regard to the kingdom program, the viewpoint about marriage and so forth. Now his disciples, in response to that, say, hey, if that's the case, then... Wouldn't it be good, it's not a good thing to get married then, is that you know, what you're saying, type of thing. And uh, he says to them there, verse 11, all men cannot receive this saying, save they to whom it is given. So there is going to be an issue here that he, we're cleaning up what we were talking about last week with marriage, where he goes back to Genesis 2, gives all that detail, takes them over to Deuteronomy 24, where Moses actually gives them gives the issue there in in the law and he answers on there verse 11 all men cannot receive this saying save they to whom it is given for there are some eunuchs which were so born from their mother's womb and there are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men and there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake he that is able to receive it, let him receive it. Now, this passage gets abused quite a lot by the uh, Roman Catholic Church, to be specific, um, and, and, and the religious organizations out there, because what, you know, and, and again, <laughs> what does the Lord say, verse 11? All men cannot receive this saying, save they to whom it is given. Not everybody can't receive the idea about not getting married. Some guys, some, some say we shouldn't, be, we shouldn't get married. You go over for us today in the age of grace, Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, he says, hey, it's good to get married here, you know, and, and so forth. But here in the kingdom program, there are going to be people that need to be married and need to get married, then let them get married. And there's going to be others that don't need to get married, so they don't have to worry about getting married. It's really going to become an individual choice for them. And there are eunuchs, <laughs> that issue there in verse 12, for there are eunuchs you know, that are born that way, then there are eunuchs that are made that way by man, then there are eunuchs by that where they just come in and they look at it and they're, they're going to have that issue of dedication for the, the kingdom's sake. So the, the, the eunuchs there, they've had the physical operation that, ena that enables them not to have children. So they're, they were physically made that way, some by men, by an operation, others born that way. Whatever the case is, that's, the, that's just the case. So not everybody can be in that category 
of, hey, is it not good to marry? Then verse 10, some folks would love to be married, but they can't. Some don't want to be married, so then, okay, they don't get married. But the thing that happens here in verse 12 is that the, the Catholics pull this out as a proof text for the celibacy of the clergy. And he's not talking about that at all. Uh, if you come over to 1 Timothy chapter 4, here's the other passage that they use. Uh, and, and really what's going on here, um, Matthew 19 has, has, was not, has nothing to do with the priest not having, not getting married, okay? 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with the hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. There's, the, there's a religious doctrine for religious reasons, go back to Matthew 19, that are forbidding people to marry. And when, that, when it becomes a legislative issue, then now we've got a problem, especially today in the age of grace. But back here in Matthew 19... When he says, if you, if, if you want to not be married, that's great, good for you. And if that's what, what works for you, great. But there are some people that are going to need to be married. Uh, Linda and I, you know, she'll, we'll talk every now and then. And she's like, well, you know, what happens if I die? We, you, you're going to get remarried? I go, probably, because I need to have companionship. I know that about me. <laughs> you know, I just know that about me. And she's like, oh, well, yeah, well, Who? I go, well, I ain't telling you who, <laughs> you know, but, you know, and I said, well, look, if I'm dying, she goes, no, I don't need anybody but you. And I'm like, yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> you know, and you, you play that game, but in, in the case here with the Lord talking to the disciples, that's the case. Hey, if you need to get married, go get married. If you don't, great. Verse 12 there, that, that issue there, they've made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. That, that dedication to what God is doing, and they're focused in on that. And by the way, when you read 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says that. He says, listen, if you get married, you're going to be concerned more about the worldly things than you are the things of God because you got a wife, a spouse. You're going to have kids. you got family. you got all this stuff going on that you have to provide for. Paul tells us if you don't have a job... <laughs> You know, if you don't provide for your own, you're worse than an infidel. You've denied the faith. You've got to have a job. You've got to take care of. You've got to do all this. And what happens here is the Lord, again, Matthew 19, verse 12, he, he's coming along and he's talking to, he's answering the disciples because of their question. He's dealt with the Pharisees, the religious leaders. They're trying to trick him. He's, he corrects them. Have ye not read? Have ye not heard? Didn't you read the scriptures? And the, the disciples go, yeah, but wait a minute. Then is it, if that's the case, is it not good? To, and he's like, no, if you've got to get married, get married. If you can't, don't, it's fine. It's the end of verse 12. He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. Okay. Then verse 13. 
Then, uh, Matthew 19, 13, Then were they brought unto him little children, and he, that he should put his hands on them and pray, and the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Suffer little children, and forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed thence. Now, after he gets done talking about the issues of marriage, now he's going to, and, and, and the fact that if you want to be married, it's fine, and it's back and forth. But now, Matthew brings up this issue about the little children. And the fact is, is a, marriage covers more than just marriage. There's also now children and a family unit and so forth. The, the second, the third institution there of creation. So now, verse 13 the little children are going to come. By the way, the little children, we've already seen these guys, the, this issue in Matthew 18. Now he says, let them come. And what do the disciples do? They rebuke them. They say, no, don't come. And Jesus says, no, suffer, let them come. And then and, and let them come to me. Now, again, that issue of the little children. That picture of that little flock, the believing remnant, the believers. You've got the apostate nation, and you've got within that nation, that little flock nation being there. And, and there's that picture here of that. And yet, what do the disciples do? They prove once again that they're not on board. They haven't quite figured out everything. They, he, they bring the kids He's going to put his hands on them. They say, nope, stop, can't come, because they haven't quite got what the little children represent. And that issue there of what he's doing here, in, in these chapters here in Matthew, as he's preparing that little flock, he's going to go to Calvary, he's going to die, he's going to leave, we've got early acts coming. He's preparing them for all that ministry work, and what's, who's going to be their charge? That little, those little children, those, that little flock, and they're not ready. So again, here he's kind of hammering home a little bit about this issue of, hey, you guys aren't quite there yet, and you're not on board. So he says there, suffer, verse 14, the little children, and forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of God. Of heaven, And again, that issue about that association of that little group and the kingdom, it's theirs. And it's going to move into uh, that. Verse 15, and he laid his hands on them and departed thence. So now we have, you've got this big discussion about marriage. And then you've got the discussion about the little children. And then in verse 16, he shifts gears. And he says, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. Now, that's an interesting thing. See, and we've got a shift here. <laughs> We're talking about marriage and family, and now we're going to go talk about how do I get eternal life, see? And 
notice in verse 7 and verse 16 there, he calls him good master. And then the Lord says, well, why do you call me good? There's only one that's good, and who's that? God. So what the Lord is saying to this rich man here is, hey, are you saying that I'm God? Are you identifying that I am Messiah, that I'm Jehovah? Is that really, are you sure that's really what you're saying here? Because they don't believe that he's Messiah. They've rejected him. They're They don't believe he's Jehovah. They don't believe he says who he, they don't believe who he is when he says who he is. He's been demonstrating all the, the healings and all the miracles have been demonstrating that he's Messiah. And he says, are you sure that you, (laughs) you just said that. Are you sure you, we've done that with people. You hear them say something, go, you really think that's what you really meant by what you just said? And that's what the Lord's doing here is he's like, hey, look, are you sure that you're, you mean what you're saying? And he, and, but in verse 16, he says, what good thing shall I do? Now, what good thing is he going to do to have eternal life? What do I have to do to have eternal life? And what does the Lord say? If thou wilt enter into life, the end of verse 17 there, keep the commandments. And this is going to be important to remember here that religious people always ask the question that way. What good thing do I have to do to have eternal life? That's the way religion always works is that way. What's the good thing? Come back with me to Psalms 39. Psalms 39, and that you have to remember that religion, and that's what this young man, this, they call him the rich man, this young man is here, is he's religious, and religion is something that was established by man, so man, in order for man to, to, to do something that then binds him to God. What do I do to make God happy? And how do I take that? So religion always is going to say, what good thing must I do? You tell me, preacher, what to do, and I'll go do it. Psalms 39, if you look at verse 5, Behold, thou hast made my days as a handbreadth, and mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. vanity. He's just empty. Vanity. Empty. Worthless. No good. Man in his best state. The day you looked the best you ever looked, guess what you were in the eyes of God? Empty. Nothing. Worthless. Come over to Hosea. We're going backwards, but Hosea chapter 8. You see, Hosea 8, I've got to find a verse here. When, he sa- when religion says, what good thing can I do to get eternal life, guess what? He said, nothing. There's nothing you can do. Because in your best state, what you're trying to produce, guess what? Nothing. 
Hosea 8 and verse 5. Hosea 8 and verse 5. Thy calf, O Samaria, has cast thee off. Mine anger is kindled against them. How long will it be ere they attain to innocency? What's happened is, is that Baal worship, the worshiping of the golden calf there, has come into Israel, and they've joined themselves to it. Verse 6, for from Israel was it also the workmen made it, therefore it is not God, but the calf of Samaria shall be broken in pieces. Notice notice in the middle of verse 6, therefore it is not of God. And that's the difference between salvation and religion right there. Salvation saves you by a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Religion saves you by a thing, the calf of Samaria. And that's the difference here. And when you, when you come back into, into Romans chapter 6 and you think about us today in the age of grace, What do people say even today? Well, what good thing do I have to do to get saved? Well, what does Romans 6.23 say? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So there's going to be a difference here now in Matthew and in Romans. Because Matthew, the issue there of eternal life in the kingdom program is going to be different than it is for us today because eternal life is going to be associated with that kingdom and you and I today, we get eternal life as a free gift. You follow that? Okay. So the, the religious, the rich man says, what good thing must I do? And the Lord says, there ain't nothing you can do. keep the commandments. You ain't going to be able to do that. We'll get down in Matthew 19. He's going to say, I've done everything. And then the Lord's going to say, yeah, but sell all you got. And people go, oh, no, i got to sell everything. The problem is, as Matthew's talking to Israel and Israel, the kingdom program, we're sitting over here in the age of grace, and Paul says, man, eternal life's a free gift. It's a gift of God. All you got to do is trust him, believe him. Chapter 5 of Romans, Romans 5. Look over at Romans 5, verse 17. Romans 5, verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, that's Adam, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life that's why he says down in verse 21 that as sin hath reigned unto death even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by jesus christ our lord when you trust christ as your savior god almighty gives you his righteousness puts you into christ you have the right, you're made righteous, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says. And when you have that, then he impute, gives you, imputes to you his life. So if you've got God's life, what kind of life you have? Eternal life. That's what you have. 
But when you come back into Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John specifically, the issue of eternal life is not a spiritual life that is imputed to them as a result of your faith in Christ. We've looked, you know, you go back, go back there to Mark 9. I'll, I'll just show you this. Mark 9. We've, we've seen where the Lord says, hey, guys, i got to go up to Jerusalem, Mark chapter 9, and die. And they go, oh, no, you don't. <laughs> that ain't happening. Luke 18, they're ready to fight him. You know, they don't understand the gospel that Paul gives us at all. So when you look in the gospels here, the issue here of eternal life, it has to do with them entering into the kingdom, of the, that physical kingdom here on the earth, not as a result of faith in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mark 9, if you look at verse 43, Mark 9:43. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. For it is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell into the fire that never shall be quenched. Well, you don't want to go to hell, so what do you do? And Mark, cut your hand off. Okay. They were going to do that. Verse 40, but notice in verse 43, he says, It's better for thee to enter into life maimed. Verse 45, And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet and to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. So life and hell are, being, are opposite of each other. What kind of life? Eternal life. Okay? But now watch verse 47. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the... Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say life again. He says the kingdom of God. First he says, life, enter into life, enter into life, and then enter into the kingdom. So the term enter into life is a synonym for entering into the kingdom. They're, they're together. So these in Christ's earthly ministry, when they're preaching the gospel of the kingdom to that Old Testament Jew out there, they're talking about entering into life. They're talking about entering into the kingdom of God. They think they know the kingdom is coming. It's right there. What, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here, guys. It's ready for you. What they don't know is the interruption, <laughs> the change in the dispensation, where he introduces Paul, and Paul says now salvation is by faith in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So these guys back here, uh, come over to Luke 18. These guys back here, they, they are, they don't, they do not have eternal life as a present possession, okay? Their eternal life sits in that coming kingdom. Now, that doesn't mean they're not justified. You're justified, no matter where you're at in Scripture, you're always justified by faith, period. Okay? You and I, when we, when we trust Calvary and the, and the Calvary work of Christ, we are justified. Ephesians 1, 3, we're blessed with all spiritual blessings. One of that issues is the issue of justification. 
but in the forgiveness of sins, but then also that present possession of eternal life. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in the kingdom program, you know what they're doing? They're hanging. They're they're waiting to see that down the road. Luke eighteen. Look there at verse number twenty-eight. Luke eighteen twenty-eight. Then Peter said, Lo, we have left all and followed thee. Now this is where we're going to be in Matthew 19 here in a little bit. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house or parents or brethren or wife or children for the kingdom of God's sake, who shall not receive manifold more in this present time and in the world to come, Life everlasting. Everlasting life for these folks was a future possession. And it was to be possessed in the kingdom of God. And that's a, that issue of everlasting life is an issue that, that was given to Abraham in the Abrahamic covenant. Back there in Genesis 12 and in Genesis 15, he says to him, he says, listen, your seed's going to go down there, going to be 400 years or better before you come out of Egypt down there, what's going to happen to Abraham in that time? The Lord says, you're going to die. But what are you going to have? And and some of your seed are going to die. Isaac and them died. Jacob died. They go off into Moses, brings them out of Egypt. You know the history. But what did Abraham know? Hebrews 11 is real clear. Abraham, by faith, knew what? I'm going to get resurrected. I'm going to have everlasting life, and it's going to be in that kingdom down there. And that's the issue. So when you come back here to Matthew 19, and you think about this, actually, come over. You're in Luke 8. Are you still in Luke 18? (laughs) Stop. I pull a U-turn here. Look over there at verse 31, the next verse. When you're looking at Israel's program and our program and what God's doing today, The issue of everlasting life is a different set of concepts for the church, the body of Christ, than for Israel. They're the same thing, eternal life, everlasting life, okay? But it's being approached in two different manners. And it represents a different time frame of reference. That's why understanding your word rightly divided where you begin to say, okay, this belongs to Israel, this belongs to the body, we don't get tripped up in that. We, it's, it's not so that we can win arguments and debates. Heaven forbid, you know. Paul says, knowledge puffeth up, but charity does what? Edifies. So we're going to, we have some understanding, and the goal of that is to edify people, not lord it over them. I know more than you. You know, whoop de doo man. <laughs> I know more, you know, you probably know more about stuff than I do. That's okay. Look at Luke uh, 18, look at verse 31, the very next verse. Then he took unto him the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophet concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked and spitefully entreated and spitted upon. And they shall scourge him and put him to death. And he, the third day he shall rise again. So there's Calvary. They're going to go. We're going to go through all of that. Now, what? Look at the next verse. And they understood none of these things. And this saying was hid from them. Neither knew they the things which were spoken. 
they weren't going to be trusting in the work at Calvary like you and I do today. They knew nothing. Actually, what does Peter do in the garden when the, when the guards come to take him? Pulls that sword out, <laughs> you know. The Lord told him, go get a sword. So they come with two or three, but all right, one would have been enough. And he's headhunting that guy. He ducks, cuts the guy's ears off and ear off, and the Lord heals him and so forth. So come back over to Matthew chapter 7. So salvation in the dispensation of grace is radically different than salvation in the prophetic program, the kingdom program. And you have to remember that when this young man says, what do I, I got to do? What good thing do I have to do to get eternal life? He's not thinking in, in the appropriate line, okay? Matthew 7, uh, we've been through this passage in great detail. Verse 13, enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Life is at the end of the narrow way. That's the point there. Life, eternal life, comes at, there's a path that's going to lead to it. And it's at the very end of that path. It isn't up front. You and I, the man, the moment we're saved, the moment we believe Christ died for our sins, bam, he comes in, Colossians 2.10, you're complete in him. Ephesians 1.3, you're blessed with all. He dumps all this into you spiritually. Now, you get into the book, come back over there to Matthew 19, and you begin to learn about that. These guys don't work that way. They're, they are looking for that physical kingdom coming down, and they know that life sits there. Now look back here at this guy, verse 17. And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandment. Again, the idea there having to do with what's going on here. Verse 18, he said unto him, Which... Jesus said, so if you, <laughs> you want to get into the kingdom, what do you got to do? Number one, you got to keep the commandments, right? That's what the Lord just told him. So you ask him, which one? So the Lord says, thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So he begins giving him... <laughs> The top ten again, here we are. You know, those, the, the, the thing of it is there. And what does the young man say? He saith unto him, all these things have I kept from my youth up, what lack I yet? And Jesus said unto him, if thou wilt be perfect. That, that issue of perfect, that issue of maturity, lacking nothing. Not ever mess up. You know, we always mess up. Go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasures in heaven and come and follow me. To, imagine if that worked today, if that was the message for today. I mean, think about what we've been going through in the last couple months with COVID and everybody's shut down. And everything. Sell everything you have and bring it to me. You know, it's like, what? 
the Lord doesn't work that way today. The rich man go here, it's time for him to put up or shut up. And that's the illustration here. The religious guy comes, says, what good thing must I do? First of all, good master, and the Lord's like, hang on a minute. Are you really meaning what you said? Because the only guy that's good is God. So you're equating me, you're identifying me as who I am, Messiah. And he's, notice the rich man didn't answer that, <laughs> okay? He just went to, what do I have to do to get eternal life? And the Lord says, you've got to keep the commandments. But what does the rich man do? But the young man, not the rich man, the young man, verse 22, but when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possession. He doesn't go and sell out, does he? So, by the way, why do rich people sell stuff? To get more stuff. You know, there was a conversation I was I heard on the one of the business channels that um, I don't remember who somebody was proposing a bill in Congress to do away with the uh, what's that exchange? We're ten thirty, ten forty, um, where if I sell an apartment building, I can exchange the money and I don't have to pay the tax on it. Oh, I just had it. Doggone it! Anyway, they were going to eliminate that. They wanted to eliminate that investment. Uh, thing and uh, there was a great uproar in the, amongst the investment guys because that's what big money hey what do you because you can kick the tax bill down the road or whatever however it worked and that's what the rich people they, they do that see the motivation for this young man here wasn't to sell off a bunch of stuff in order he, he would go sell it to make a profit but what Christ is saying is, hey, you've got to sell all of it and give to the poor. And what Christ is doing here is he's revealing the motivation of the young man's heart and really what's going inside of him. Luke 16 over there, he says, the law and the prophets were until John. And since that time, the kingdom of God is preached. See, the Lord is, he says to that young man, you go keep the law, keep the Ten Commandments, the law. And what the law and the prophets say do, you go and do that. And the guy says, okay, so I've done all that. Now what do I have done? What do I do? Well, Luke 16 says, and now the, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into that. So now let's go and let's talk about what the kingdom of God's going to require. Now, the, now it's a, not just a tithe system on 10% and 20-whatever. Now it's 100%. So in the earthly ministry, the Lord's, he's, he's adjusting the program once again, and that's why Matthew is a dispensational book here. He's adjusting the program once again to say, he's already done it. Moses said, don't commit adultery. The Lord says, if you look on her and you think it in your heart, you've already done the deed. You're guilty. He's adjusted the system. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't kill, um, I didn't come to destroy the law. I've come to fulfill it. He doesn't destroy the law or anything. He's just adjusting it now because it's moving from a physical issue to a heart issue. And that's what it is. Look over at Luke 12. Hold on to Matthew. Luke 12 here. The Lord does this because he's getting them ready for the kingdom. 
Luke 12, verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that you have, that ye have, and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approaches, neither moth corrupted. Again, that's what he's doing. So when you come back, come back to Matthew 19, he says, listen, if you'll go and, if any man denies me, verse 21, Matthew 19, 21, if thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasures in heaven and come and follow me. The kingdom requirement to being a disciple is that verse right there. Sell everything you got and come and follow Christ. Okay? That's the context then of what Peter's going to ask him in verse 27. We have forsaken all. Okay? Now, what are we going to get? We'll get down there in just a minute, all right? But that's why Peter says what he says here. Verse 22 but when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And the great line that I have heard from dad over the years is, and great possessions had him. And so he, obviously, he goes away. And, uh, verse 23, then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. Because the issue is a heart issue. And the, and the message at the moment of the day was, listen, if you want to get over there, you're going to sell out now. And what Christ is doing here is he's taking that, he's adding the kingdom requirements to the scene. The, the young rich man here gives up, goes away. He's done. Because his heart wasn't there. He really didn't have faith. He really didn't mean what he said by good master. He's just looking for an angle. Verse 23, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Now you want to watch the commentaries and the theologian guys go nuts. Get them talking about this verse. Obviously, a camel can't fit through an eye of a needle. So there's a little sarcasm here by the Lord. People think the Lord was this mushy, you know, wimpy-looking dude, and he wasn't. He was none of that. But he, he God has humor. <laughs> uh, you know, he, he, he laughs, and he has a, uh, a sense of humor. And the Lord here, the, a little sarcastic here, and, and he says, yeah, you know, it, that's what that, and that's really what he's talking about. It's going to be easier for a camel to go through the eye of that needle. How easy is that? It can't happen. If you if you don't believe me, we'll go down here to the zoo and I'll get a needle out and you look at the camel and see it. Is, okay, and it isn't an abracadabra boom. It's going to happen. It, the issue again gets down to that issue of the heart and where everyone's at. And the whole issue in the passage here is the impossibility with men to accomplish 
something so he can enter into the kingdom. It isn't going to be on what good thing should I do, do I need to do. Verse 25, when the disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? Well, nobody on their own can be saved. Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And that's the difference. That's the issue. Who can get, who can get eternal life on their own? Nobody. But with God, now there's a different thing now. Now we can, now they can find, there's a way. And again, the key here to the issue of salvation and eternal life and getting the blessings for these folks is in that kingdom. It's not on their efforts. It's not on them doing. It's on the program. Verse 27. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? Peter gets a bad rap here. Because usually what people say, the commentaries are no different, is that Peter's being a little bit of a selfish guy here. But he's really not. Peter said, we met the, we've met the qualifications back up there that you gave for discipleship. We have, verse 28, we have, I'm sorry, verse 27, we have forsaken all. You think about Peter. Peter was a co commercial fisherman. He had boats. He had a thriving business when the Lord comes and gets him. And he, and he just, he, he's mending his nets. The Lord says, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. He just left it all and walked away. And not only Peter, but his brothers and, and, and a couple cousins and all these guys around him. And they're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute here. And Peter didn't bat an eye. And Peter says, we've forsaken everything. We've given up everything to follow you. So what do we get now? Verse 28, And Jesus said unto him, them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sister, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold, and shall inherit each everlasting life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. At this moment in time, Peter does not possess eternal life as a personal present possession. He's looking at it at the kingdom. That's why he says, the Lord says, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit on the throne of his glory. When is that? Come over to chapter 25 of Matthew. Matthew 25 and verse 31. You see, that issue, by the way, that thing there about regeneration it's only used one other time in Scripture, and that's in Titus 3, in verse 5, when he says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us 
by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Individual regeneration. That's what Titus is talking about. Here, Israel is going to receive a regeneration in the kingdom. You and I have the regeneration as a present possession. They're going to get it out there in the future. And when that happens, Matthew 25, verse 31, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory, second coming of Christ here, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And that's the issue. Now, when you come back to Matthew 19, we're going to pick up in verse 28 and go down through about the issue of the governmental structure of the kingdom and how it's structured. We'll do that next time because it's about a half hour and we're running up on our clock, okay? <laughs> I am mindful of the clock. But that issue here of these guys are going to get what, what's coming to them, they're looking in the kingdom. They ha don't have it as a present possession spiritually. They're waiting for the kingdom. You and I, we have present possession. It's ours right now. But over there, these guys are waiting. And they're waiting for that issue of the throne of his glory. And that's the issue of the second coming. If you, okay? So Peter is not asking a bad thing here in verse 27. What do we get? Because the Lord just set the discipleship role, 100% following me. You're leaving mom, dad, you're leaving home business, you're leaving everything, bam. So, you know, people always want to say, hey, let's, let's have the offering be, you know, like Israel. It's like, well, what part? Because <laughs> the Old Testament was 10% tithe, really it's like 25% because they tithe 10, 10, and then a, and then a nickel. And, or, or do you want it to be Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John where it's 100%? Or would you rather it be the age of grace, which is a cheerful giver? And as you've decided and purposed, then you give. Or do you want to be kingdom, Hebrews through Revelation, which guess what? It's 100% now back. See, I would, I would rather stay in the dispensation of grace. <laughs> okay? And the thing is, is with these guys, Peter says, you've set the, you've set the criteria. We met it, so what are we getting? What's coming? What is the fall here? And he says, hey. And, and he says that, uh, you know, honestly, when you flip back to Matthew 6, <clears throat> he, and I'm, uh, Matthew 6, verse 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And, the, and the, the, these things are all the physical things there with the lilies and, and the ravens and everything and all the things that the Gentiles are after. And Peter's like, Lord, we followed you. We sold out, man. We're 100% in what's coming our way. And he says, you guys are going to have a special position in the kingdom where you're going to sit in the, gov in the government. And uh, we'll look at that next time, okay? All right, so we didn't quite get done with Matthew 19, but we'll get there, all right? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word, and above all, Lord, we thank you for the age of grace, for the dispensation that we live in today, that we can do so and, uh, and rejoice in that. 
and uh, look here at, at how you handled your people in time past and rejoice in that as well. In your name we pray, amen.